taking on former President Trump, at least when it comes to political endorsements. On Monday, Pence endorsed Arizona Republican gubernatorial candidate Karen Taylor Robeson, who is going up against the Trump-endorsed Carrie Lake. In a statement accepting Pence's endorsement, Robeson wrote, modern politics is full of charlatans and fakes, but VP Pence is the genuine article. He has never wavered in his conservative beliefs and commitment to our Constitution. Well, this is an interesting development. So you've got almost, we've got the proxy war in Ukraine. Now we've got the proxy war in Arizona. The people's president versus the elite's veep, right? And who better to respond to this than Carrie Lake herself? I wanted to bring her on the program to see if she was available. Producer Cameron reached out. We found out that she was available. We're chatting during the break. We got cut off. We're on now. Uh, Carrie Lake, I wanted to bring you in to to get your reaction. MSNBC, everybody's talking about how the vice president's coming in. Uh, he's going to be doing competing rallies now, I believe, is is potentially in the cards. What's going on in Arizona with all of this? And can you respond to this latest endorsement? Oh, Arizona is the battleground. I mean, right now it is MAGA versus the swamp. And I think we know what side the American people are on. The swamp creatures are taking their last gasp of breath and trying to hold on for dear life, but they're going to get flushed away in this election. And, you know, we're, we're seeing it. They're starting to talk a big game. Obviously, MSNBC doesn't understand the world of, of MAGA and America First politics which is the only way, frankly, out of the mess that the swamp got us into. And they're thinking that rolling out somebody like Doug Ducey or Mike Pence will do the job. I mean, these guys are the laughing stock, frankly, of politics right now. The people have turned on them because they turned on the people. And my opponent has never been even close to catching up with us in the polls. They're trying to act like she's tightening her, uh, you know, her stance with us and getting close to us. But all of our internal polling shows we're up 11, 12, 13 points all over the state, even in areas that are a little bit swampier that maybe you'd think she would be doing better. She still can't pull ahead and can't even come close to us. So we're ready for it, Jack. We've got all eyes on this election. We know they're going to try to cheat again. We've got the attorneys out and we've got eyeballs everywhere ready to catch them in action. And now, of course, uh, we know that, unfortunately, President Trump had to delay his rally. He was going to hold it, I think, Saturday uh, last week. But of course, with uh, the passing of Ivana Trump, it was delayed. But correct me if I'm wrong, he is going to be coming in on Friday now. Is that right? Yes, he is. And anybody who's interested in coming can go to DonaldJTrump.com and sign up for this amazing rally. It's going to be held in Prescott Valley, which is one of our great cities a little bit north of Phoenix, and it's a lot cooler up there. And, you know, I think it's actually good that it was delayed because since uh, it was delayed, we've had these two swamp creatures come out and get behind my rhino opponent. So it's just going to up the game and it's going to make it even more exciting. We're so looking forward here in Arizona to welcoming President Donald J. Trump. You know, when you go out there and you, and you meet voters, right? And I've, I hear this and, I, and, and, you know, so now I'm asking you as a, as a reporter, right? And you're with your other, your other hat on that when there's sort of this idea, and, and I'm just trying to understand the calculus for, for Pence here, and does he want to run? Does he uh, in 24? Is he looking at something? Nikki Haley, of course, making some statements recently. But it, it, do you get a sense that there's people in the Republican Party in Arizona that think it's time to 
uh, say goodbye to President Trump. What did Nikki Haley say? His, his time has come and gone. He's isolated. But when you're out there, you're meeting voters, you're on the trail. Is that the sense you get that, that uh, the 2016, the MAGA era is over and they want to put a close on it and then move on to something else? Or is that still where people are? No, it's just the opposite. And it's funny because that's the narrative that my rhino opponent is trying to push out there. And it's not the reality on the ground. This is a, a, a very patriotic state. This is a state that, remember, the patriots in this state are the ones that stood up on November 4th, the day after that botched stolen election, and said, we demand answers. And they worked and worked and worked, and they rallied and they protested until they got a forensic audit. So we're, the, we're really the state that got it all going. And now we're seeing how widespread the corruption is. So this is a very pro-Trump state. Remember, we had that 96-mile Trump train that started organically before that last election. And people still love President Trump here because he loves America. And frankly, Jack, his policies work. And whether you loved President Trump, like the majority of people, or even if you didn't, you have to admit, looking back three, four years ago, your life was so much better under the America First policies. And that's simply what we're going to do here in Arizona. I'm going to bring America First policies to Arizona. We're going to secure the border like it was secure with President Trump, maybe even more secure. And we're going to bring some common sense policies to Arizona and for once and for all, push back on the McCain machine which is still kind of running in this state, although it's really on its last gasp. And we're going to bring back a government of we the people. Well, I know that you've made border security a huge part of your campaign. I saw your last campaign ad where you're blowing the, uh, uh, the cartel drone out of the sky. I thought that was awesome. And uh, but I did want to bring that up because I've spent, so when I was in the military, I spent some time at Fort Huachuca, which is right down there, Sierra Vista, right on the border down south of Tucson. And um, I, I've seen the issues with our porous border down there to the point where, and at, at this point, this was under the Obama administration when I was there, that you would even see illegals and some of these caravans and coyotes coming even onto the military base itself. And I wanted to ask you a question because something that we've seen in these border towns, and this actually, believe it or not, came up in the Uvalde shooting investigation. So I'm not throwing you a fastball here, but what I'm what I'll, I'll explain what I mean, because the reason they said that the police response was not so urgent immediately when they got a lockdown order for the school was because that school had been locked down 47 times already that year prior to the school shooting, including the day before. Why? Because of what they call bailouts. And I said, well, what's a bailout? And I go to the next section of the report and it says a bailout is when the illegals and the human traffickers are coming across the border, they're being chased by police, they're being chased by law enforcement, they crash the car, and then everyone pops out of the car and runs, right? So you run and scatter in different directions so that people can't catch you. Yet some of them are armed in some of these cases, um, some of them are dangerous, and so they order school lockdowns. Carrie, this happened 47 times at that Uvalde school just this year prior to the shooting. That's just one school, that's just one border town. But for me, and that's right at the nexus over, in, obviously in Texas, um, you know, a couple of states over from you, but it's, it's right at the human smuggling corridor that we've seen from Del Rio and Eagle Pass. But flipping it back to Arizona, you are a border state. You're here, we're hearing about things like this that are going on. What could you potentially do as a governor to try to bring some semblance of law and order back 
to these border towns because these are our children at the end of the day. They're our kids. We, we have, yeah, we have the same situation happening here in Arizona every day, all day. I mean, ask Sheriff Mark Daniels down in Cochise County. They have this going on all the time. The gotaways there, the bailouts, they're having, they're being chased. Uh, I think the, the uh, chases are up a three or 400%, maybe even higher than that. It's just lawlessness, complete lawlessness. And it's not just on our border. It's starting to move for northward into our cities as well. We've got murder rates spiking to the highest they've ever been. It's lawlessness here in Arizona and in Texas as well. And we're done. And the governors can do a lot. They can do everything. They just have to invoke their Article 1, Section 10 powers, which is basically the ability to protect the border and to secure the border. And that's what we're going to do on day one when we declare an invasion in Arizona. We have an invasion in this country like we've never seen before on our homeland. And it takes one strong governor to stand up and do the right thing. We're going to do that on day one. We're going to resume constructing President Trump's wall, and we're going to immediately get boots on the ground. Arizona uh, National Guard will ask sheriffs to help as well, and all law enforcement to help out. And when we catch somebody coming across, they're heading right back the other way. We're not going to take them in. We're not going to put give them shelter. We're heading them back across the border, and we're going to play hardball with Mexico, just like President Trump did. He showed us how to do it, but we don't have any strong people who are willing to take that on, and I am. And our border plan is the strongest, most bold border plan this country's ever seen. It will work. And of course, they're going to fight us, Jack. I mean, day one, they'll probably start rolling out the lawsuits, and who knows what Joe Biden will do. But we're willing to take that fight, and we're willing to take it right up to the Supreme Court. And we know in the end, we will win because it says it right there in plain language in the United States Constitution. And it's, it's just so amazing to me that when when you look at some of these and, and we were talking earlier on um, on the program about sort of just the, the basic idea, right? The basic idea for why do we have government? Um, do we have government because of this? This uh, you know, We want to pool our resources and share things and it's this socialist idea. No, not exactly. But there are certain services where it makes sense. Uh, the fire department, law enforcement, right? We want collective defense. Well, when you're hearing things like bailouts and gotaways in places where there's children present, right? And that this leads to a lackadaisical response, obviously a response that goes completely insane with 400 officers in, in uh, Uvalde not being able to actually go and, and, and neutralize the threat in a way that I think that everybody wants, right? And of course, we're going to see prosecutions and investigations over there. But we also have to understand that this situation is something that we can control as a government and as a society. And it's exactly to your point. All we need to do is elect the right people who have the mindset of we're going to put people first and we're going to defend people first. If it's a policing situation, we bring the police in and we have good police. We don't have corrupt police. We don't have bad police. And if it's a situation that goes beyond that, of course, that's the entire purpose of the National Guard. That's why when I was in the military, I used to say things like, that's why we have these things. That's why we have our jobs, right? Because we are there to defend the American people, period. Well, and you talk to any man or woman in the military right now, and, and you ask them, would you rather be down on our southern, southern border securing the United States or over in Ukraine helping out there? 100% of them would say, I'd rather be in, in our own country 
helping secure our border. And we're going to get help from other states, Jack. We Part of my plan is to have an interstate compact with other states, ask them to send their, uh, their you know, state National Guard to our border, have them help with resources and any information they can provide us. Because look, this is a 50-state problem. The fentanyl yes. pouring into Arizona doesn't remain here. It goes all over. And drug right. seizures are way up. This is a weapon of mass destruction. I've been saying that since I got into this race. When you're sending in tons of fentanyl and what we've confiscated already could kill two and a half billion people, frankly, that's a weapon of mass destruction. And I take that very seriously. Our government should. They are not. But we will, starting in January of 23 in Arizona, shut this operation down. Well, and this is this also gets to point that, you know, when I was down there again, and I, I heard this time and again from uh, Border Patrol, Homeland Security folks I had talked to, they said this idea that there's the border and then there's the true border, right? And what do they mean by that? The true border is the one that keeps going north and north and north because you're finding cartel safe houses, you're finding shootouts, you're finding these trafficking corridors, you're finding some of these towns who unfortunately do have corruption. You do have a problem with some local politicians there that are on the take from these cartels. It's just a fact. It is a fact of life because when you have these drug smuggling operations, there's money, there's cash to be had. Look, we've all seen Breaking Bad, right? We've all seen Sicario, right? We've seen some of the films that have at least uh, broached this issue, but we also have to understand that, that it creates a public policy situation, right? And what's amazing to me is that we could have things like this and yet not actually talk about it. We've got one minute left. Uh, Carrie, like it, it seems to me like you're talking about finishing the Trump agenda. And yet I hear Vice President Pence seems like he's against that for some reason. Why is that? <laughs> you know, they thought they defeated President Trump in that last election. But the patriotic uh, people of America and Arizona said, "Nah, not so fast. We're going to dig to the bottom of that and find out what was behind that. And it turns out it was a corrupt election and we caught them and we will seek justice someday. And they're nervous about me because of that. They've been found out, they've been figured out, and they're going to try it again, but they're painted into a corner because when they try to cheat again, they're going to get caught. And uh, they just, they thought they finished up with President Trump and they moved him on out. And what has happened is a whole legacy of leaders that President Trump inspired, myself included, who are not willing to let go of America, who are not willing to let this country falter. And we're going to save it, each and every one of us. All right, Carrie Lake for governor. And Carrie Lake, by the way, great hits on Tim Pool recently. I loved them. Take care. You know what's never good? When your nation's supposed authority on economic policy completely misses the flashing red lights of impending inflation. Now, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen has finally admitted, quote, there's been an unanticipated and large shocks to the economy that have boosted energy and food prices and supply bottlenecks that affected our economy badly that I didn't at the time fully understand, end quote. You know who understands the real threat of inflation? People who invested in gold and silver with Birch Gold Group. They're protecting their savings from a highly turbulent economy by diversifying their 401k or IRA into gold, physical gold. 
and it's not too late for you to take action now. Text Bannon, B-A-N-N-O-N, to 989898 and get a free info kit on diversifying and protecting your savings with precious metals. With an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of satisfied customers, text Bannon, B-A-N-N-O-N, to 989898, and get the real help from Birch Gold today. Again, text Bannon to 989898 to claim your free, no-obligation information kit on protecting your savings with gold. War Room Pandemic with Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon, and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. All right, Jack Posobiec in for the Jackal. Remember, my MyPillow.com promo code WARROOM. Go to the splash page. You can find everything you need there for your summer sleep upgrade. Change those sheets. Change those pillows. Get something for the people in your family that you love, your family, your friends. They will love a MyPillow. If you've already got some for yourself, get some for others. Also, breaking from the courthouse, the producers just let me know during the break, the judge has denied Steve Bannon's request, his attorney's request, to delay the trial for one month, uh, given the fact that they are going to be letting in this letter from the January 6th committee, which discusses executive privilege. However, they are potentially uh, going to allow a one-day delay, so they're going to mull that over. They're breaking for lunch pretty soon, but then they're going to come back with four questions, so four questions and the potential proffers. So we're going to see this uh, all, by the way, going to be recapped in a nightly recap of the trial of Steve Bannon, which is being produced by the Post Millennial. It's exclusive Post Millennial podcast and then hosted by Viva Fry. If you want to get more into this, right, I'm doing the breaking in real time as we do the show, but that's going to be solely focused on the trial. It's going to come out every night. Viva Fry, Post Millennial, Apple Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, will have it. I wanted to bring on, though, now we were talking about a story yesterday here on the program about this police shooting in Minneapolis, all right, Techley Sunberg, I got the name right, Techley Sunberg. And we had Drew Hernandez on yesterday and we were asking, why did the police take the shot, right? So this guy and BLM is out there, they're protesting, they're raising money. They said police shot him, it was an execution. They never would have done that. Um, if the suspect was white, it never would have happened, right? They're raising money, Ben Crump is already involved. And I remember I was going through the, the timeline on this and Drew Hernandez had done a great job from Frontline's of putting together a timeline as we had it at the moment. But we knew there was this six hour period wherein the police were discussing or negotiating with the suspect and we knew that there was some kind of negotiation going on. Okay, so what happened during those six hours and why did they take the shot? The family was saying, right, throughout all of this and as they're raising money, they've hired Ben Crump and he's, this was the Floyd lawyer and uh, Ferguson, et cetera, et cetera. He's always teleports to these things, right? And Then we got a report, and I saw a report from Julio Rosas, the senior writer over at Town Hall, and he has exciting breaking scoop on what actually went down because of his sources within the Minneapolis Police Department. I said, Julio, you got to come on and break this down for us. So we have him on today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jack. Right. And, and for folks who don't know, Julio and I met, you know, kind of in the streets in, in 2020 covering different BLM, Antifa type activity, whether here in D.C. or outside. We were in Chaz together in Seattle, um, you know, night and day out there. My Good times. Brother, Good uh, times. Kate Poso saw people 
setting stuff on fire, climbing all over the place. Yeah, absolute, absolute good times. But but I, I'm really, you know, just just uh, congratulations, by the way, on your scoop. And if you can break down for people what it is that you've been able to reveal about this situation that absolutely, I in, in my mind, debunks everything that this guy, Ben Crump, is saying. Right. And, and as you pointed out, it's not just activists and random protesters. Like His own family is saying that if it was not for the fact that he was a black man experiencing a mental health crisis, uh, the Minneapolis Police Department would not have killed him and they would have actually been able to tell, talk him down. But I talked with uh, my sources within well, the actually, department. Actually, let me... Let me let me mention, by the way, for the context, right? This was the video we played yesterday where the mother was screaming at the activists. This guy shot at me. He shot at my children. He shot into our apartment as we were moving and we showed the bullet holes inside her bathroom. That's the context of all this. He was shooting up people's homes. He was shooting at a mother and her small children. Right, exactly. And so when when it come when it came to the six hour standoff, once police were able to evacuate the building and and that family, uh, they they engaged in a six hour standoff with him. And from what I'm told, uh, not only did they actually use a PA system, not only did they uh, try to call him on his cell phone, they also did allow the father to go on the PA system. And obviously, uh, the family did try to call him on his cell phone as well. Except for most of the time, whenever they tried to engage with Techlay he would actually turn up the, the volume on music he was playing in the room that he was in so that he wouldn't hear either the cell phone ring or the, the, the voices outside the PA system. In addition to that, uh, the one time that they were actually able to get him on the cell phone, I'm told that he was incoherent. He sounded like he was talking to somebody else in the room and he was just yelling kind of random obscenities. And one of, uh, one of my sources said that he just, uh, the, you know, the shooter was just not, going to negotiate i mean they, they they were standing out there again for six hours and trying to throughout the night and uh once again i am told that the reason why the snipers uh did finally you know made the decision to take him out was because he was moving to basically start shooting again uh and after you know he already expended multiple rounds uh earlier so this wasn't a situation where cops just show up and just start firing you know, guns blazing right right out the outset i mean they they, they did everything that they could for, from what we can see from videos that were taken that night from the citizen app uh to you know to even uh you know the dad uh, of TechLate to to try to calm him down to try to de-escalate the situation but now they're turning it on the police department the family of TechLate, uh because the dad wanted to go actually into the building itself to try to talk to him more directly and one of my sources said that that was just a terrible idea because not only was he firing no, you blindly can't, you can't through walls that, no, and no. yeah, well, yeah, exactly because he was firing through walls and doors. So I mean, he could have ended up shooting his own father if he didn't believe that he was coming in, or or you know, another worst case scenario would have been that it could have turned into a hostage situation. So I mean, That's this right. is not at all a situation like George Floyd. Heck, this isn't even like a situation where you know, like Jacob Blake. But I mean, even in that case, uh, you know, that was also a justified police shooting. Uh, but this was <laughs> from, from, from what, I, from the evidence that we have so far, it seemed like that they made every attempt to avoid, uh, actually shooting him. And, you know, we're going to get the body camera footage. They say it's going to take some time because there's over 50 police officers. So you take that with six hours. So that's going to be hundreds of hours of footage that they're going to have to go through. Uh, but all, you know, available evidence that we have right now indicates that this was not just, you know, white cops in Minneapolis, just trying to gun down. Uh, uh, just uh, an innocent black man. 
No, and, and, and in fact, as far as I know, we don't actually know the, the races of the, the snipers or the negotiators or any of the people involved. Um, but, but Julio, just, just on some of these basic points, right, some of the basic points that are so easily debunkable, right, which, which you have already done, which video from the Citizen app has already done, why the lies? Why is Ben Crump doing this? Why is he putting the city of Minneapolis, which of course was the epicenter of the BLM riots of 2020, why is he trying to do this again? Because it's just standard practice at this point, because it's just uh, from, from the outset uh, of from 2020, it's just that they, they, they've created this environment where it's profitable for them to get involved, to stir up racial animus, uh, animosity toward you know towards you know towards police and towards uh, citizens of, of of Minneapolis and other cities uh, because the culture the culture has shifted dr dramatically to where uh, you know understandably there you always have to be skeptical with uh, or it, it's it's wise to be skeptical when it comes to police department claims and everything and that's why we have body camera footage to that you know we can actually figure out for ourselves what's happening in these situations but it's been taken to the extreme to where you know automatically we're just going to not believe uh the police department we're not going to you know despite the available evidence that's still you know they're going to say that uh that they're lying and it, it even seems like the father kind of changed the story a little bit or, or made it seem like uh he wasn't able to engage with Tecle uh at all which of course wasn't the case so i mean it, it's it's just that it's profitable i mean if you look at i mean the money uh that's been pouring in i mean the, uh the George Floyd family got, I think it was a $27 million in a settlement with the city. So, I mean, if they see an opportunity to make, which you of know, course Ben Crump gets of, a cut of, right, right. Exactly. Which of course so, he gets a cut it, of that. Yeah, exactly. So it, it, it's just, it's a profitable scheme right now. And I'm not saying that there isn't instances of uh, police misconduct at all, but it, I mean, it's just in this case, especially with the Minneapolis police department, it seemed like this was a good shoot. No, to me, it, it, it looks like it looks like Ben Crump and the activists here, they are using this as a sales funnel, right? They're, they see these incidents, they see some of the videos, they hear what happened, they, and they realize that they can use this as a way to essentially get to that settlement. It's all about that settlement at the end. But you actually wrote a book documenting a lot of what you saw in 2020 and all of these situations. Tell me about that a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, basically the, the, the whole reason why your earlier question about like why they're doing this is because of the culture and the culture was set because of the riots that happened in 2020, because I mean, again, as you said, it, it happened, uh, in Minneapolis, you know, what happened with George Floyd shouldn't have happened, but it, and it did, but again, things were taken to the extreme and it just repeated itself throughout basically the rest of the uh, rest of the year where whenever there was, you know, a perceived instance of police misconduct, the automatic response was just to riot. Um, and so, you know, I went everywhere from, you know, Minneapolis to, we were in Chaz, uh, Kenosha, Louisville, Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, uh, just all across the, the, the country because there were just riots that would just happen uh, in the name of social justice, in the name of racial equity, when in, in a lot of those cases, it was minorities who suffered the most. Well, that's actually, you were... Yeah proper damage correct me if i'm wrong but you were actually there the in kenosha the night of the uh the kyle rittenhouse uh shooting yeah yeah i i i was uh kyle rittenhouse was in the middle of the street i was on the other side of the street when the second half of the shooting when he shot anthony huber and gage grosskreutz in self-defense this, this is when the so, right, when the when the the crowd is chasing him down the street at this point so you weren't in the yeah, after the, the initial parking lot but as the crowd is chasing him down then they came up to basically where you were 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it was right after he shot Joseph Rosenbaum, again, in self-defense. And, and probably my, my claim to fame with, with that case is that it was my video that caught Rosenbaum slinging the N-word around. To, to you did. So you it did was get a, it. it All right. A, it, was, it was a hectic year. Julio Rosa, go check out the book, uh, Fiery But Mostly Peaceful, and then follow him, a senior writer at Town Hall. With the recent rulings from the Supreme Court, it's worth mentioning that these wins didn't happen on their own. It took the support of companies like Patriot Mobile, who have passionately fought on behalf of the unborn and your constitutional rights. Patriot Mobile is America's only Christian conservative mobile phone provider. And they have been on the front lines fighting for your values. This is why Patriot Mobile is different from every other provider out there. Inflation has made it really hard on many Americans. Thankfully, Patriot Mobile has plans for almost any budget, and they offer the same nationwide coverage as all the major carriers. So you get the same great service, plus the knowledge that your money is going to a company fighting for the sanctity of life, religious freedom, and your Second Amendment. Go to PatriotMobile.com. That's all one word. PatriotMobile.com slash Bannon or call 972-PATRIOT. That's 972-P-A-T-R-I-O-T. 972-PATRIOT. Use the offer code Bannon, B-A-N-N-O-N, to get the free activation. If you're a veteran or first responder, please let them know because they have special discounts for you. Come join our movement and make the switch today. PatriotMobile.com slash Bannon. That's PatriotMobile.com slash Bannon. Or call 972-PATRIOT. Support this company that supports your values. Do this today. Action, action, action. War Room Pandemic with Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon, and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. All right, Stephen K. Bannon, they've just broken for lunch over in the Prettyman Courthouse, the federal courthouse. I'll probably get a head over, right, check out the courtroom after, uh, after the show today. But we know that he's over there fighting the regime, facing them head on. Uh, they just denied his request for continuance, but we know that some of these executive privilege issues are going to potentially come up during this trial. Jury selection still isn't even over, by the way. That's how bad things are going. Uh, that's how bad the prosecution is in terms of all of this. But we are here, and we are going to make sure that we're covering it real time, every single possible breaking update. Also, I have to give a shout out because I have just been informed, I just informed over the break, by a, a very special source that I have. The baby AJ is once again watching Dada on the show today. And so, hi, baby AJ. Dad'll be home soon. But before I can get home, I have to bring on this next guest, and it's Tyler Boyer. Believe it or not, he's the COO of Turning Point Action. Because I had Charlie Kirk on yesterday, and then we also had Dan Schultz, and we've heard how CNN and the establishment in general is going after the precinct project, precinct strategy, right? They're saying, we can't have anybody 
going after these. Oh, this is terrible that people are getting into their democracy. People are going to be running for office and taking over the parties, and we can't have anybody from the war room that's ever getting involved in politics. That would just be disastrous for democracy if, just to play it out, if average people were getting up off their couches and getting involved in democracy. And so I wanted to bring Tyler on because Tyler, that's pretty much your job, isn't it? Getting people off their couches and getting them involved in democracy. Yeah, you know, Jack, and you've been such an instrumental leader, I want to say, uh, with us at, at Turning Point USA and Turning Point Action, uh, where where we work specifically day in and day out. I know the audience here knows Dan Schultz really well. I've actually known Dan for almost going on a, about a dozen years here in Arizona, where we've had the grassroots working for a long time, trying to talk the party into, hey, you've got to focus on getting the precincts filled. And uh, we're, mo- we're, we're moving the dial. We're, we're making moves. But Turning Point Action, I kind of view as, as, as rounding up the younger side of what the Precinct Project has been so good at doing, which is making people totally aware of, of this thing, which is that the only way for, for the party to be saved is for individuals to get up off their butts, get off the couch, and get involved today. And you know, if there's one thing that's come from the Trump era, it's that people are realized... Uh, in this battle for election integrity that we're seeing in four key states in particular, that you've got it, you've got to do this. And so uh, we have staff full time in, in Wisconsin, Arizona, Georgia, uh, Michigan, Ohio, and Florida in particular, where our big focus is is get individuals, particularly younger people. When I say younger people, I mean you know, 40s, 50s year olds, and uh, you know, obviously people are my age and, and our age that that are in their 20s and 30s, to actually get involved and start rocking and rolling so that we can take back the party and save the country. Well, one of the uh, the interesting things that I've seen is that turning point action. So this this is sort of the, this is the C4 arm. This is the political action arm because we've all seen what Charlie's done over at Turning Point uh, from the C3 side, the chapter cha- the chapters on every campus. And yesterday he was telling us that at SAS, which is coming up, uh, just a couple of days, right, in um, in Tampa, that the chapters are going to take a main focus here. But what, what Turning Point Action is now doing is taking all of that incredible organization, that same idea, but then turning it into a political action arm. So you mentioned a few states there. Um, what are some of the other f- really key states that you're doing? And then to- walk us through some of the operations that Turning Point Action is going to commit to during these midterms or go or in, you know, in the uh, ahead of the midterms. Well, look, Jack, I, I serve, so I got elected this last time to the Republican National Committee. And so I'm actually the National Committeeman also for the state of Arizona on the RNC. And so many people would agree and say, hey, the RNC has done very little to focus on the precincts uh, and, and take it back. And, you know, that, that's not, a, that's not a, a wrong, you know, observation. It's, it's the, the party apparatus in general hasn't. Because as we know, we've talked about, and I know Dan's talked about time and time again, that the establishment does not want real grassroots people in because that makes that you start holding people accountable that run for office. And you start challenging people for their offices, and they, they don't want that. They want to box that out. And so you look at what's happened in states like Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona, Georgia, and let's focus particularly on Arizona and Georgia, where you've had the establishment basically try to take that state over those two individual states, and box everybody out. And so the bench has been really weak. And we've seen that during the McCain area, and we're seeing that 
uh, with some of the individuals who won their primaries in Georgia is that they're they're trying to keep everybody out because the last thing that they want is for somebody to come in and, and take over their job and do it better. And so, look, the reality is this, is that we have a ton of incredibly smart grassroots individuals. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm excited because there's a lot of a lot of Jack ask uh, and Jack followers that are out there that are wanting to get more involved. <laughs> um, and that's what we need in the younger era. You know, that's what we need from our people that are, you know, sub 40 years old, which is, Hey, you, you know, I know you're having kids. I know you got a job. I know you've got all these things going on, but spend a little bit of time, you know, after you go to church and, and you're raising your kids, right? Spend a little bit of time saving the country and, and giving back. And that's what we need you to do as, as a precinct committeeman and, and particularly Georgia, Arizona, Wisconsin, and, and Michigan, because if we don't save those states, there's a really tough pathway to the presidency in 2024. And so we've got to take those states back now while we have the opportunity, particularly in 2022, where this is a huge opportunity for us to take back ground. Well, in looking at those states particularly, but also we know, of course, this is a 50 state question and that a question, of course, is election integrity, right? Yep. And we all know the issues. We all know the issues from Arizona, from Maricopa, where, of course, uh, where you're from. But looking forward, what is Turning Point Action doing? What can Turning Point Action do or people just at the precinct level in general when it comes to election integrity? And I think that we've seen, you know, to kind of answer my own question a little bit, that we've seen that it really is the personnel that matter so much at these local levels when it comes to the conduct and the carrying out of our elections. Well, look, I mean, I don't want to break any news here, but, um, you know, the executive board for uh, the executive committee for this, the Republican Party of Arizona. And, and so most people here are aware that the Republican Party in Arizona is pretty conservative at this point. Leadership is is far more conservative. We're seeing other states follow suit right now. And, and this is all thanks to taking over the precincts. But look, I mean, we had a speaker of the House who is a moderate. His name is Rusty Bowers. He's terrible. Um, he doesn't work with the party. He doesn't respect or care about the grassroots. He does, and he doesn't care. No about relation, right? What's no that? Relation? that yeah, that's ba- Bowers. He's Bowers. Yeah, I'm Boyer. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. It's, no, it's spelled wrong on there. I have a Y in my name, but but it, it's oh, uh, it no. Wrong? But yeah, it's okay. It's okay. Oh, I, I don't want to okay. be confused Denver, with Rusty Bowers. <laughs> no, 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 we'll take <laughs> well, care of that. We'll take care of for you. But 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 I mean, you have. I got you back. Yeah. Thanks, Jack. Uh, but you have really terrible individuals. So tonight, you know, the, the Republican Party's meeting and is going to be considering officially censuring uh, to help with removal of Rusty Bowers, not only from leadership, but wow. from public office in the future. Wow. And this, this, type of, this type of stuff is really important, right? Is if you take over the Republican Party apparatus, you can start really influencing the general public of like, hey, this is a, a bad person who doesn't care about election integrity, doesn't care about you. And we have to we have to scoot them out of here very quickly, and that's and that's what we we've, we've done in Arizona, and uh, that's what people can do if they take over their precincts, if they they take over their local GOP apparatus, which is what we need, is to start taking back ground and, and holding these people accountable. No, then that's exactly right. Look, we've seen this time and again with um, look at Liz Cheney as an example of this, right? 
uh, her own party centering her, moving to remove her. You've got her primary challenger is, I think, double-digit lead last time I checked, or even more than that. We're seeing the numbers where they need to be in state by state, but we also need people inside the party at that level who can actually execute because the, the administration, right, or the establishment, whatever it is, right, and you're seeing this, by the way, with your, your beloved governor, Doug Ducey, uh, coming out and essentially throwing cold water over all the MAGA movement, over Trump, over all of this. He's the worst. I mean, and uh, look, the Harriet example, uh, Hagman in, in Wyoming is exactly the party apparatus also working. Wyoming is one of those states where the conservatives took over. Uh, the chair there is an incredible dude. And he, uh, yeah, th- what they have done is they've gone in and people don't realize this, but the party, if you take over the party, you can basically say, hey, we're not going to support uh, you know, the incumbent. And that's what they did. And so part of the reason why Liz Cheney is in such trouble is because good people with, with some real, you know, backbone stepped up and they, you know, said, Hey, we're not going to elect this guy, uh, elect this girl again. And, and she's done. And that's part of the reason why it's almost impossible for her to win is because the party has done that because no resources from any Republican apparatus can come in and, and support her as an incumbent. And th- these now, are important now, things want- that are, Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, sorry. No, no, no. Didn't mean to cut you off. But look, we, you know, a couple of minutes left. And I wanted to also say, so Tyler, I will, I know, see you later this week at Turning Point Action's uh, focus of where Turning Point Action is actually also hosting, right, part of SAS down in Tampa and actually bringing to stage, I think the only stage in the entire country this summer, possibly this whole year, where D- Governor Ron DeSantis and President Trump are going to be appearing together. And you and I were talking about a little bit during the break. Tell me, how are ticket sales? What's the convention center atmosphere look like as you're looking at it? Uh, What are some of the things that you're looking at going into this incredible immersive experience as Turning Point SAS really turns the, the, the center of the conservative galaxy in that one immersive weekend? You have uh, hit the nail on the head. I think we're the only stage in America that's hosting both Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump in the same event on the same stage. And so, uh, yeah, we're really excited to have Governor DeSantis and President Trump both speaking. Uh, we have a packed house. Uh, it's it's literally we have the capacity. We actually I just was talk, talking to Lauren, who is who's in charge of the event and Charlie and we have the capacity to to extend out a little bit because it's a convention center. Uh, but we're going to have a, a, a hyped room. And you've been in there, Jack. You know, you've been at America Fest and our Student Action oh, Summit. Yeah. There's nothing that comes close to the energy that we bring in there. And the entire reason why we do it is to hype everybody up for this, for this year, to, to get out and, and, Wait, and so kick the- butt and, and take action. So that we're really, bury- really excited for it this weekend. As Steve would say, signal, not noise. Don't bury the lead. You're telling me that you guys are reaching out. So Turning Point is now reaching out to the convention center to see if you can expand the event, flex out the event because of the influx of people that you have coming to see Governor DeSantis and President Trump. And of course, myself. Yeah, we have people from all 50 states, including where, including from Jack's house uh, in the <laughs> in the out, outside areas of, of D.C., and from from everywhere, and uh, we're really excited. I mean, we uh, people love this stuff. I mean, who doesn't who doesn't want to see the top speakers 
and the the hype the top hype men for the movement all in one place and on top of that we do training we have significant training we have actually a precinct committeeman recruitment with some of these young people from all over the country uh really teaching people of hey this is what this is all about um uh, and and really moving the ball down the field and so if you haven't had a chance if you're in florida yeah tpaction.com slash sass uh, you can go get your tickets now and join us with Governor DeSantis and, and President Trump for something I think that will really inspire you. All right. Go to your training, and then you get to have your entertainment, the whole convention center, that really whole area just becomes this conservative center of the universe, putting shoulder to the wheel. So important. Tyler Porter, thank you so much. We're going to close it out. We're going to go back to Dr. Burks and break down the shadow government that she was running during the Trump administration. Friends, when America's farmers themselves start warning us about impending unavoidable food shortages, do you think there might be a problem in this country? Well, you bet there is. Fertilizer shortages are going to impact you and your family very, very soon. That's why I suggest you drop what you're doing and go to preparewithbannon.com. That's preparewithbannon.com. You'll find a special offer where you can save $150 on a three-month emergency food kit from my Patriot Supply. My Patriot Supply is the nation's largest preparedness company with millions of well-prepared customers who will be able to eat when the food shortage hits, and those shortages are going to hit. Their three-month food kits give you over 2,000 calories per day and are selling fast, so don't wait. You get free shipping, and your food will arrive at your home in unmarked boxes. Get one kit for each person in your family. You'll need it. Go to preparewithbannon.com right now. That's preparewithbannon.com. It's no longer if, it's when the extensive food shortages are coming. Go to preparewithbannon.com. Do that today. Action, action, action. The new social media taking on big tech, protecting free speech, and canceling cancel culture. Join the marketplace of ideas the platform for independent thought has arrived. Superior technology. No more selling your personal data. No more censorship. No more cancel culture. Enough. Getter has arrived. It's time to say what you want the way you want. Download now. When the government told us that the vaccinated couldn't transmit it, was that a lie or was that a guess? Or is it the same answer? I think it was hope that the vaccine would work in that way. And that's why I think scientists and public health leaders always have to be at the so, table, so being it, very clear what we know and what but we this, don't this know. Is in, this is important for the country to know. So when I asked the question, when the government told us that the vaccinated couldn't get it, and I asked you if it was a guess or a lie, you said you don't know. You said you think it was hope. So what we do know is it wasn't the truth. So they were either guessing, lying, or hoping, and communicating that information to the to the to the citizens of this country. Guessing, lying, or hoping. Okay, final segment here on War Room. I want to bring on Jeffrey Tucker, the president of the Brownstone Institute. Uh, Jeffrey, it's really been your reporting that has opened my eyes up to this Dr. Burke's travesty. That's when I started digging into her book. You were one of the first people on this. And walk us through your theory of the case that she created essentially a shadow government which enabled her to be able to use this this apparatus, her with Fauci and then and Pence was involved, of course, obviously as well, 
to put out this line about vaccines being able to stop the transmission and then coming back and admitting that they didn't actually have any data that showed that. Okay, so uh, let's think about the time the timeline a little bit here. Uh, you know, that comment about vaccines is interesting because one of the weird things that comes out of the Burke's book is that uh, she was never a much of a believer in the vaccine. She always thought that they would uh, probably not work very well. And and she wanted permanent lockdowns. In other words, a lot of people saw the vaccines as the way to get out of lockdowns. She didn't believe that. She always thought you'd have to stay in lockdowns forever, as far as I can tell. So when she's referring to people t- advertising that the vaccines would stop infection and transmission, she's really talking about Fauci and Walensky and these kind of things. So when she says it was a hope, She's really describing them that, that that they were hoping, but she she'd been reading the EUAs and seeing very clearly early on that they weren't going to work. What's what's creepy about about Burks is that she's even worse than what you described. Even from early from uh, middle of the March, I mean, she was the one who uh, ultimately convinced Trump to greenlight the lockdowns, right? And and we know this from her own account from from March 11th, March 12th, and all the way through the 16th. But when Trump began to realize he had been sort of hornswoggled by her, uh, he started urging the country to open up uh, because he knew that uh, the American people were suffering and the Trump economy was being destroyed. She uh, went into full, full-time, full action to subvert and and uh, and make it make it impossible for Trump to achieve his his aims. She essentially became the effective head of a shadow government that that was uh, fully operational between March 20th and then um, all the way until the middle of December uh, that year, where she, uh, and she has hundreds of pages in her book about this, would would weekly alter uh, the data reports that the White House was sending to the states. She was flying around from state to state. She convinced Abbott in Texas to impose a mask mandate and and uh, intensify capacity restrictions and so on. She was a full-down lockdowner for the entire year at the same time that Trump is on the stump, you know, arguing for opening and saying this has got to stop, this is uh, a ridiculous... Well, and uh, I... And I- and I remember this, right? We remember this yeah. sort of um, mismatched uh, strategy where you would get you would get President Trump going and keep mind he's campaigning for re-election at this time. He'd be at a rally talking about how we're going to open up and the lockdowns are going to end. And then sure. the task force would come out and say, no, we need more lockdowns and now we're moving to vaccines. Sure. But it wasn't just Burks involved in this, was it? Because you had Fauci and then you had Pence as well sort of uh, uh, over, over top the entire apparatus. You, you had really essentially the entire administrative state. So the entire uh, NIH and, and CDC and uh, Department of Health and, and Human Services and the entire bureaucratic state was uh, an entirely organized against Trump, who I'm sorry to say it, and you felt this too, because you were watching this very carefully at the time. He was president in name only, right? They're glad to have him out on the campaign trail and, and announcing this and that, announcing that, but 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 there was a huge um, operation to to disable his capacity to govern for uh, from March all the way uh, to, to the election, and he began to sniff this out too because he would try to hire certain employees of the CDC and open things up and get some rational thinking, especially because Scott Atlas showed up and 
and uh, right, the villain of the book, her her villain, the antagonist of Scott Atlas. Well, right? let me tell you, that man, that man saved the saved saved the world, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, what, what he did was brave and bold. I mean, how many of us have walked into the belly of the beast and just told them what we really think about everything? I mean, that's exactly what Scott Atlas did. So she had to kill him, and she's still trying to kill him. <laughs> but actually, her book inadvertently makes him, you know, a great uh, hero. Uh, for the ages and reveals herself to be, uh, you know, it really like a confession. It, it does. And you know what troubles me most about this? I mean, this book has been out a while and I kind of dug through it in de detail and I wondered how it is that she believes that she can get away with this. So I've had countless people, very smart people who know what's what say, isn't what she's admitting to illegal. And I don't really know the answer to that, but a more profound question is like, why does she think that there's no payback for this? And the reason is that she, among many other people, is so convinced that the administrative state is the are the real rulers of this country that there's nothing you can you can admit to that's going to get you in any kind of trouble with the bureaucratic. Uh, Indeed, hey apparatus. Jeffrey, we are we are just about out of time we're going to talk to peter see if we can get you in for the afternoon show because there's so oh, much more i think we are just pulling the threads yeah the no we're just we're just beginning dr this. burks and this let's the not forget the, the next leg of it that's right and let's not forget that trump tried to put an end to this right before the election with his schedule f uh, executive order and that was reversed by biden so there's there's warfare going on in this country right now and and this conflict between burks and and the elected politicians is just the beginning of it precisely all right we're out of time so you're gonna have to go medieval on your own potter noster say it bring it on and i will fight to the end just watch and see it's all started everything Folks, let me tell you about Salty. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart. While COVID gets all the headlines, it's important to realize that heart disease kills nearly 700,000 Americans every year. Yes, heart disease is the number one killer every year, year in and year out. Heart disease builds over time. Hypertension, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, diabetes, all of it affects our heart. A healthy heart is key to being energetic as we get older. It is never too early to take care of your heart. You see, heart disease sneaks up on us. You can start in your 30s, and when this happens, you're at serious risk by the time you turn 60. If you want to take care of your heart and those you care about, please go to warroomhealth.com. That's warroomhealth.com. All one word, warroomhealth.com. Use the code warroom at checkout to save 67% of your first shipment. That's code warroom at checkout to save 67%. And do it again. Warroomhealth, all one word, warroomhealth.com. Go there today. You need, if you're going to be part of the posse, you need a strong heart. You need a lion's heart. How we're going to do that is with Salty. Go there, do it today. Check it out. They put Peter Navarro in leg irons for simply doing his constitutional duty. Now they want to put Peter in prison for standing up for Donald Trump. Please go to Amazon right now and order Taking Back Trump's America to help fund Peter's legal defense. Taking Back Trump's America provides a critical MAGA blueprint 
to put Trump back in the White House in 2024 by taking back Trump's America on Amazon today. If they can put Peter Navarro in prison, they can come for all of us.